Hello. I am Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. <laughs> I figure I'd come back from sabbatical. I can get away with anything. But truthfully, every time we come up at the beginning of the service and introduce ourselves, that is what is going through my mind. So I figure if I share that with you, perhaps it would no longer haunt me like it has. But for those of you who don't know, my name is Carl Schultz, and my father is among the living. I have just returned from six weeks uh, on a sabbatical, which I certainly want to extend my thanks and gratitude to Travis and the elders and the church family for investing and caring for the staff and willing to give me that opportunity. It was really an amazing experience, and I certainly want to also thank Pastor Don and Joanne and Art Paterzo and so many others who kind of filled in for me while I was gone. When Travis first mentioned the idea of a sabbatical, I had a hard time getting my head around it, for I wasn't feeling burned out. I wasn't particularly feeling like I had any health issues, and my marriage of 32 years, I felt, was never stronger. And so it was one of those times where it's like, I'm not quite sure. And as I tried to explain this to some of my friends and former colleagues, there was also a little bit of confusion about why a sabbatical. It would typically start like something like this. So you say they're giving you six weeks, they don't want you to come into the office, and they don't want you to worship with them on Sunday morning. Is this a sabbatical or severance? And I would assure them, no, 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 I'm coming back August 21st. And then they would normally say, so it's more like a suspension until the investigation is complete. <laughs> and I said, no, really, they're just giving it to me. And then the, the, the logical third question was, does Roger Goodell serve on your elder board by any chance? <laughs> but in some ways, the sabbatical really was punishment or a suspension for me because I love what I do. I love my church family and I love the people that I work with. So spending any amount of time separate from them really was a challenge and something that I had to get adjusted to. But also as I was looking at it, there was this question of, okay, six weeks, how do I use it? I mean, Jean and I have been married for 32 years, and other than our honeymoon, we've only spent one week at a time together. So six weeks seemed like an amazing opportunity that I could not pass up. But along with that, when you start thinking about it, becomes this pressure, right? It's like it's heightened importance. I need to have this mountaintop experience, just not with Chris Loper as my guide. And I want to come back and give the elders a sense that it was worth the investment in time that they gave me. And so much like it is when you are really tired and you need to sleep, is usually one of the times when it's very sleepless for you. And so there was this natural anxiety that I was going through. But then I had some wise counsel from a few people who basically said, look, don't make too much out of it. You need to simply refresh and rest. And so that's what I ended up doing. 
So not being very good use of free time, I tend to be much better when I'm busy. I thought maybe I would look at the Bible and see what the Bible said is rest. And so I went to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 6, the wisdom of Solomon, how can you go wrong? It says a little sleep, a little slumber, folding of hands to rest. I thought this is what I'm looking for, right? Do you know how that verse ends? Let me share it with you. (laughs) Poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. And I'm like, well, maybe that's not the approach to rest I should take. So fortunately, we had the words of Jesus in Matthew 11. You who are weary and heaven laden, come to me and I will give you rest. So given that approach, Gene and I decided that more than anything, the six-week sabbatical would focus on relationships. Our relationship with the Lord, both jointly and separately, our relationship with each other, and our relationship with our children. And I have to tell you that one of the greatest benefits of this time was for me to be able to commit to Gene that for six weeks I was available. My schedule wasn't going to suddenly change. There was not going to be an interruption to our plans. And we really could just dedicate that time together. And I have to tell you that Jean is such an amazing wife and very supportive that she just goes with the flow in the midst of so many interruptions. So for me to have that opportunity to give back was truly a blessing. But as I was beginning to anticipate that I would be preaching this Sunday, and Travis had identified the theme as basically sabbatical reflections, I thought that instead of just showing you 120 photos of my vacation, that perhaps I would try to bring some biblical principles to bear as well. And so I started looking on the theme of return. And I wanted to find stories of people who had gone away and returned and what the lessons that they learned from it. But with that, there's, there's some challenges with that as well. I mean, David re- returned to Jerusalem, but that was after his son Absalom tried to overtake the throne. That really wasn't applicable to me. I mean, you've got Jesus returning, but that's a little bit beyond where I think I should be uh, dealing with. I've already shared in my past uh, sermons how my life has kind of mirrored Jonah and Peter at times. And so I was kind of left with the return of the prodigal son. And that kind of was not something that I was real thrilled about because I didn't feel very prodigal-like. I didn't go and demand a sabbatical from Travis and the elders. I didn't spend the six weeks hanging out with prostitutes or living, living riotously. And I certainly did not anticipate a celebration when I came back. In fact, some of you probably didn't realize I was gone. <laughs> Others of you are saying, who's the bearded guy up there? But so as I began to study that passage, and I ended up reading it every day, the Lord began to change my heart and began to show me how I am very much a prodigal. 
And I want you to understand that this passage, Luke 15, is all about God's grace. It's all about God's extravagant grace that he gives to us without any expectations. This is unmerited grace that he provides for us. And as we see with the other parables in chapter 15, the focus is on the one who finds them, not on the one who is lost. And so I pray that that would be what you get out of this sermon, if nothing else. It's not on the one who returns, but the one who goes after and seeks the lost. Because I believe that at the point we stop becoming amazed or puzzled by God's grace, we are no longer fully understanding the magnitude for our lives. We'll look at the first uh, few verses of uh, Luke 15. I think it's found on page 874 of your pew Bible. Uh, But before we do that, let me just take a minute here and pray for us. Father God, you are a gracious God. You do not treat us as our sins deserve. And when we fail, when we fall away, when we choose things before you, you still come after us. You still welcome us home. You still celebrate our return. So I pray, Lord, as we study this passage today, that we would understand what it means to be a prodigal, but also what it means to be welcomed back by such a loving Father. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This is Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you and heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost 
and is found, and they began to celebrate. The parable continues, but I'm going to stop there for the purpose of what I want to share uh, this morning. We understand that a parable is basically a story made to illustrate a point. There's not backstory here. We can't begin to follow where the prodigal goes next because it is not a true story. It's a story that Jesus gives as an example to teach a spiritual truth. And so we have this understanding here that the son desired to be separate from the father. He wanted to be on his own. And so he goes to the father and asks for his inheritance. Now, you have to understand that at that time, that was the equivalent of asking the father, please die, because I'm more interested in your stuff than I am in a relationship with you. The son was more interested in being his own man than he was being the father's son. And this obviously would have caused great shame on that family. But the father does. He divides up his, his, his estate and gives it to his son. And his son goes off and wastes it all. Now it's easy for us to judge the son. It's easy for us to say, what a spoiled brat he was. I can't believe he did not see how good he had it, and instead he wasted his life by running off. And then he comes back begging for forgiveness and wanting his father to welcome him back. But before we are too judgmental, I want to spend a few minutes looking at how we as followers of Christ, tend to be prodigals. And how we may not be living a life of riotous living. There is another uh, definition of the term prodigal, which means wasteful. And that's what I want to look at this morning. We'll simply have two points if you're falling on the outline Uh, The first one is the journey, and the second one is the way back. One thing I I failed to mention earlier, but I want to point out, on the bottom of the sermon notes, there's three books that I have been impacted by, Gene and I have been impacted by greatly over the course of the summer, and I I want to recommend them to you. I wanted to put them out there in print so you didn't have to scramble to write them down as I perhaps refer to them. The first one is Reset by David Murray. It's really just a book for what it says it is. For you to be able to reset, to break away from the pressures of life, the draws of social media and everything that pulls us away, and just reset in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now the book is written toward men. There's apparently one that's coming out in the fall called Refresh, written by his wife. But I'll tell you, Jean read Reset, and she was blessed by it as well. So ladies, don't feel that that excludes you from reading that book. The second is Knowing Christ. This is, if you will, kind of like the companion to J.I. Packard's Knowing God. And it's, it's basically 27 chapters, each one dealing with an attribute 
of Jesus. And Jean and I used it kind of as a uh, daily devotional that we did together. And it's really impactful. I will warn you that his, his writing style sometimes is lacking, but obviously the themes that he addresses are very much heartfelt. And then the third one, as Kingfishers Catch Fire, this is by Eugene Peterson. This is another amazing book that can serve you as a devotional. He has 42 separate chapters. Each one just tugs at your heart and convicts you of ways that you have perhaps gotten off path. Now again, a warning, Eugene Peterson's beliefs don't always align with MCCs. And so I want to make sure that you don't go off and think we're endorsing everything that Eugene Peterson ever said, or am I recommending that every book that he wrote. But certainly this one and The Contemplative Pastor, which is another one that I wrote over the course of the summer, are just amazing. And so I would highly recommend those to you. Commercial over. First point. The journey. We again see through this that we have the understanding that the Son became, became uh, unaware that He was disconnecting the Father's things from the Father. And so He no longer saw the need for the Father. He felt, hey, I'm able to live on my own I'm able to do what I want to do. Why do I need the Father? So we see that he goes off on his own and he begins to experience what life is without the Father. But we also understand here that no matter what happened, Through the father's perspective, it was still his son. Even in that culture, typically they might even have a funeral because once the son abandoned his family, they were considered dead to that father and to that son. But this father, even though the son does not treat him properly, even though he does not show honor to him, still considers himself his son. So for me, when I looked at that passage, I said, I've been a Christian most of my life. I grew up in a Christian home. I've really never been a prodigal. I mean, I've never really run away from the Father. I've really never wished that I could be separate from the Father. So how does this passage apply to me? But when I started to see the connection between prodigal and wasteful, it started to become clear to me. Because in some ways, I too was more about the Father's things than the Father himself. And let me explain. When I talk about the Father's things in my context, I'm not talking about materialism. I'm talking about serving. I'm talking about caring for people. And I'm talking about it's so easy when you're in full-time ministry or when you're in church service, you're a leader in the church and you're connected in so many ways that it's very easy to get very efficient at doing church that you begin to forget about protecting time with the Father. And so that's what was the, 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 the conviction for me. 
I had become to the point where I was so efficient that I was able to multitask and accomplish so many things, but it was coming at the expense of time with the Father. I would get up early and I would quickly come into the office thinking of all the places that I could certainly have quiet time with the Lord, it would be in this beautiful place. But it wasn't long before the interruptions came. And then it was a case that I was simply trying to squeeze in time with the Lord amongst all the many other things that I had to do that day. I mean, you could understand it. It was, it was like I was trying to uh, eat a quick meal in a food court with all distractions around me. It was like I was going through uh, a drive through and eating in the car. That was the, the quality of time that I was spending with the Lord. I was faithful to do it, but it really wasn't that meaningful, deep relationship that I so need it. And so it was really in Eugene Peterson's book that he talks about the phrase meditate on the Word of God. And he says so often we have this, this thought of it's, it's really sitting in solitude and, and kind of just prayerfully reflect, reflecting on God. But he said when he did a study on that word and he saw the way that the prophet Isaiah used it. The prophet Isaiah uses that term meditate, or the Hebrew word, which I think is haggash, to mean like a lion standing over his, his, his prey. And he said he, it reminded him of the way that when his dog gets a bone, that the dog takes the bone, he goes away somewhere silent, somewhere alone, and he spends days just getting every meat off of that bone. That was him savoring the word of the Lord. And that was something as I became more efficient in doing ministry, I spent less, less time savoring the word of God. It was interesting, this came clear to me uh, when we were 4,000 miles away from here in a mountaintop town called Orvieto. And Gene and I have fallen in love with that town. We've fallen in love with the way that Italians do life. And they have this afternoon break called Reposo, where basically all the shops shut down. Now, in America, we'd say, wait a minute, that's peak business time. I'm not going to shut down for a break. But they do that. And all life around slows down. And in the evening, the meals usually last two hours because you stay there and you savor over a meal. It's not just a quick bite and on the run. You're enjoying that experience. And I began to see how reposo, which means rest, is the way that I was lacking in my time with the Lord. For it was easy for me to quickly say, I've done what I need to do. But I lack that deep, long relationship that I needed to have on a daily basis. There's other ways that we as Christians and people who are seeking can view 
our lives as a prodigal. We can have an attitude of, I'm going to come here on Sunday morning, and then as soon as the service is over, I'm out of here. I'm doing that just because it gives me a little bit of an insurance policy in case something goes wrong. That way God's available if I need him, but I don't have to really change my life to accommodate his schedule. I did that for 15 years. I sat in that pew there and Gene was wanting to stay and I was the first one out the door. That's one way that we can do that. Another way is that we begin to understand that we want the blessings, we want God's protection, but we don't really want to spend the time with Him. We don't want to do daily devotions. We don't want to pray about things. And what begins to happen is our mindset. We still think that we are acknowledging God as the supplier of all things, but we're treating Him more like Amazon than the eternal God of the universe. And we're simply saying, when I need something quickly, I know where to go. But much like the prodigal, it doesn't take long in our lives to begin to see that when we separate the Father from His things, that things become meaningless and empty. And the same is the case in this parable. And I love what Luke does in verse 17, where he says that the son came to himself, which basically me realizes he, he came to his senses. He realized his mistake. And so many times for us to realize what we are missing, we have to come to that period of dryness where we understand that we have to go back. Second point, and this one's shorter, I promise, is the way back. The son thought he had to forfeit everything in order to gain back the father. He thought the way back to the father was to work harder. He would work as a servant. He would do everything he could to show his father that he was serious about the relationship. But the son failed to understand the extravagant grace that his father was offering. For we see in verse 20, even as the son realized what he had done and decided that his course of action was to confess to his father that he had sinned against him in heaven and that he wanted to come back as anything that the father would accept. We see in verse 20 that long before he came in view of the Father, the Father was out looking for him. The Father welcomes back and indeed celebrates his return. I want you to think for a moment if that was your child. I want to think what it would be like to see that child coming down, returning to you after a period of separation. And there would be so much joy in your heart. And you would not be so worried about what they had done, but you would just desire to have them back with you. 
and have a relationship with them again. Brothers and sisters, that's the image of Christ welcoming you back every time you fall short. Every time you stray, every time you choose what is different than choosing time with Him, He still comes looking for you. He still desires to have you come back, and when you come back, He celebrates. And that's what this parable is all about. It's not the, the craziness of the, the prodigal son itself. It's the extravagant grace that the father offers on him. The son had nothing to bring. The son had wasted everything. All he could do was acknowledge his need. And that's the same for us. We bring nothing to this relationship. All we simply do is acknowledge our need. And Christ provides the rest. Gina and I spent time up in Bar Harbor, and one of the things that we really enjoy doing is kayaking. And usually we do this in the morning. And we, we go out in the bay. There's, there's a cove there, and we usually kayak 45 minutes out and we just stop and sit in the middle of the bay and we just watch and the seals start coming. And occasionally you'll see a harbor porpoise. And it's the coolest thing because in some ways the seals are just as curious as you are and we just would sit out there for hours and watch this. And it would be a way that we were saying, hey, this is wonderful, we're in the middle of God's creation, enjoying it. But this year we did something different. This year, when we went out there every morning, we brought with us that book, Knowing Christ. And we would read a chapter together and then we would pray about specifics that we wanted to address. And it was interesting because I, I always thought this is going to be difficult to, to do this because when we um, are out there, we're going to get distracted by seals and porpoises and it's going to be hard for us to concentrate. We went out there five days. There was not one seal or porpoise to be seen. Even though the, the owner of the place had said, oh, there's a lot of activity out there this week. But we went out there and we didn't see anything. And that was a little bit different for us because it had been such a special part of our experience there. But I think we both at that point realized that what we had gained was so much greater. Last day, we're, we're paddling back to shore, um, reached a point where we're close enough to shore that you're unlikely to see anything anyways. And all of a sudden, in the distance, there's this amazing bald eagle that just soars across the bay. And it was just a powerful image of a reminder of Isaiah 40, those who wait upon the Lord, 
their strength will be renewed like wings of an eagle. And brothers and sisters, it was just a wonderful image of the fact that we don't have to forfeit everything to gain the Father. But when we gain the Father, the things of this world are so much sweeter. This table here is about extravagant grace, what the Father has done for us. And as we come before the table, I would, I would ask you, as you're praying as the elements come, to think two things. One is I want you to think, you know, coming to yourself. What is it that you have to let go of? What is it that you choose over the Father that you need to let go? But the second image, I don't want you to dwell long there. The second image is I want you to look at coming to the Father. And that image of the Father welcoming you home and celebrating. Because that's what this table is all about. For joining us for today's message. Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Washing all my shame.